You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And today, again, always excited to do these interviews. And this one I've been trying to line up for a while. But this is Theo Van Nort for here in New Zealand. Hey, Theo, how you doing? Hey, Chris. Good, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. I have been bugging you for a while, so (laughs) thank you. (laughs) And just to give the the listeners a a brief background, Theo works with my wife uh, here in New Zealand. And he's primarily insect research. But I went to a, a Friday seminar, I got invited, and he took a trip down to the Antipodes, which I'll let Theo talk more about it here in a minute, but is one of the most, re- I would say, one of the most remote places on Earth. I, and Theo, correct me if I'm wrong, but I looked it up. It's about a thousand kilometers from New Zealand. Is that right? Um, it's 760 kilometers. Okay. Southeast. Okay. Yeah. From the Southeast tip. Okay. So yeah. it's still pretty far. <laughs> Right. It's pretty far. Yeah. yeah. In the sub Antarctic. And Theo was, uh, so Theo just got back a couple months ago, back in March from the Antipodes where he was part of a project called the Million Dollar Mouse Project. And I'll let him describe more of, of what it is. But anyways, I listened to the seminar and I was like, Oh my God, I gotta see if I can get him on the podcast. It just was an amazing mm-hmm. story, amazing trip. You know, talking about invasive species, things like that on, on this one sub Antarctic island. So welcome, Theo. Thank you. And this is, this is going to be great. I know our listeners are going to love this. No, thanks for having me. Yeah. So the first thing I always like to ask is just kind of give a background uh, about you, where you grew up. You know, obviously you're currently living in New Zealand. <laughs> um, oh, so I grew up on a farm in Northland, which is, um, the northernmost region of, uh, New Zealand. And I, yeah, so I was around nature. My parents had a nice native bush block, which I spent a lot of time in as a kid. And I basically developed a bit of a love for insects. And I kind of carried that on um, into my university academic life after I left high school. So I studied ecology and uh, biology, biology at Auckland University. And I completed my master's there as well. So, yeah, my master's degree was in um, ecology and conservation, and I was looking at uh, vespular wasps, which are invasive species of wasp here in New Zealand, um, mm. which cause major ecological damage. Um, and since I finished my master's, I've started working at plant and food research um, with Ashley, your wife, as mm. you mentioned, mm. um, and we study pollination, basically. Um, by insects and crops. So yeah, um, it was through my masters, the network of people that I met through that, that I got to go to the Antipodes Island. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, really grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah, it's it's amazing, and the people we're meeting here in New Zealand, and it's just incredible. It's incredible. 
like, uh, you know, and, and before Theo gave a talk, his friend Max gave a talk. He went to a separate island. What island did he go to? So that was uh, Auckland Island. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. I, I, I believe, yeah. Yeah, so another kind of remote sub-Antarctic island. And mm. yeah, oh, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. The stuff that's going on down here is just amazing, you know, especially from us, from the United States that, you know, I guess we have the great white North with Canada and the Arctic, but anything with the Antarctic down here is just really cool. So yeah, you're working on pollination. It's interesting. You know, is there a conservation aspect to that? You know, I think one thing we haven't covered a lot in our podcast yet, and and Angie and I are still kind of like, do we start going into insects or not? But, you know, totally. You totally have to. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just, I mean, they're so cool. And, you know, my wife has given me a a deep respect, you know, for honeybees and other insects. But is there a, you know, I guess just for the listener's benefit before we jump into the the Million Dollar Mouse Project, you know, is there a conservation aspect with insects right now? I guess from a global look. And then you just talked about, you know, what your master's work was here in New Zealand. Hmm. But if you can kind of give a perspective on that. Yeah. um, So a lot of, Work in New Zealand is focused on um, controlling invasive species, especially with insects. So there's um, like big efforts to keep invasive ants and other hymenoptera out um, of the country because they they can do real big damage to our conservation values. But there is uh, there are native insects which there are active conservation programs um, to protect. So giant wetter, I don't know if you'd Mm-hmm, You're familiar mm-hmm. with giant wetter? That's probably one of the insects we'll do. That thing is insane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're really cool. Size of your hand, right? They're huge. Yeah. yeah. I think they're the heaviest insect in the world. Yeah. Um, so they're huge. Yeah. So there's um, a breeding program with those in Auckland, with the Auckland Zoo and um, Butterfly Creek, I think. Hmm. And yeah, there's a few other things. There's a the Cromwell chafer, which is a neat, inse- a neat beetle mm-hmm. um, in the South Island, and it's the... I think the park where they're found is the only, uh, what do you call it, reserve, mm-hmm. which is uh, a conservation land in the world, which is solely for the purpose of conser- conserving an insect. Mm-hmm. So that's quite cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah, that's... That, I can't uh, think of anything else. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, that's great, though. I mean, it is, it is. And, and you know, I talk to, to Ashley all the time about bees and, you know, what's going on around the world with them. So... I'm privy to some of this stuff, but it's still, you know, outside my, my expertise, I leave it up to her <laughs> to do that. Yeah. So right now you said you're doing pollination work. It, when you went on this, I, I guess the first question I should ask is, can you just describe what the million dollar mouse project was or is? Yeah. So the million dollar mouse project was a eradication attempt to try remove house mice from the antipodes island so the antipodes island is actually a world heritage area so it's um, Mm. got enormous conservation values there including a whole range of uh, endemic insects and birds and it's yeah so it's basically really unique Um, it's a 2000 hectare island so quite large and the terrain is yeah really gnarly so (laughs) It's, yeah, yeah, I just saw that from your pictures, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's what the uh, project was trying to do, was remove these mice from the island, which had been established in the 1800s, I think, from either sealers or shipwrecks that um, landed on the island. Right, yeah, right. So it was, you know, in the podcast, we do talk quite a bit about, you know, invasive species and, you know, these these animals are moving around the world with us, right? Mm. As we move and explore. And, and so here you have this really unique biome, mm-hmm. you know, ec- ec- ecological niche here with all these different animals, you get these introduced mice and they're, they were, they were like what feast, they were feasting. They were just having a, a good old time, weren't they? Yeah. Right. So yeah, there was, they, they got to really high densities on the Island. So uh, I think about 150 per hectare. Um, so yeah, really high numbers. And they, because they're generalists, they eat basically anything they can get their paws on. Um, so mm-hmm. invertebrates, uh, bird eggs, seeds, 
So um, this was having quite a big impact on the um, local wildlife, basically. Yeah. Yeah. What, I mean, can you give a couple examples of a couple species that were, were suffering? I mean, do we know if anyone extinct because of them or not? Maybe not extinct, but I guess yeah, well, there's, uh, eradicated. Yeah. There's two um, species of beetle, I think, that are no longer found on the Antipodes Island. So, mm-hmm. and that's, um, well, probably well, most likely because of the mice uh, predation. Um, and mm-hmm. as well as that, uh, various birds, especially ground nesting birds like the Antipodes snipe, which is an endemic mm-hmm. snipe on the island, uh, its population was quite low, I believe. And that was from uh, predation as well. So one of the questions I have is, is how did the scientists and everybody behind this project, you know, how did they eradicate the mice? What were the things they were using? Um, so the mice were eradicated with a aerial bait. So they used a helicopter and they aerially dropped brodificum, which is a, um, a bait which is toxic to mice, onto the island. And they, yeah, so they spread them with these big buckets from helicopters. They took, yeah, so helicopters basically. So how long ago did they go and bait the island? Do you know? I think it was 2016 that they did the drop. Okay. But they've been planning it okay. for a long time. So, um, it was in 2012 that um, uh, Gareth Morgan, a little yeah, a, a guy in New Zealand, a bit of a mm. philanthropist, um, started campaigning for it. And I think the planning began in, in 2014, and that's when they started doing mm. monitoring of bird species and getting that background information on how many mice are on the island and yeah, how, how the birds and stuff were doing. And then the actual bait drop happened in 2016. Um, and so, uh, my, my, the trip that I went on, the monitoring, tr- the monitoring trip was conducted in 2018 this year. Um, mm-hmm. so that's a good two years since the bait was dropped. And so we were looking at the outcomes of that, uh, eradication. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And, I guess we could talk about the trip itself, but I, the first step, it's really cool how you, you know, talked about this, but can you first describe how you got there from New Zealand and then we'll talk through the trip, I guess. Yeah. Right. So, um, because it's so far away, there's, and there's no landing strip on the Island. The only way to get to the Antipodes is by boat. Um, and so we left from Dunedin, which is a city in the South Island. Um, and it took about two days by a Navy boat. Uh, so we went on one of the offshore patrol vessels, um, which the New Zealand Navy has, and they um, dropped us off by was like a wet landing, basically. So they had to use mm-hmm. little inflatable boats to land us on the island because there's also no port there. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a quite a long journey just to get to the... Right, right, and... And how long were you there for doing your assessments? So we were there for about a uh, one month period. So from mid, mid February till mid March. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And then for the listeners, that is like summer, height of summer here, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Know, <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't like the height of winter, no. you know, subantarctic temperatures. It was, uh, but still it was kind of cold, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, it was a, it was a balmy 11 degrees. 10 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, okay. Uh, so that's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for, uh, Fahrenheit, that's like 50, right? That's what it was about today. Yeah. So, um, so you were there for a month. So you had to bring all your supplies, right? I mean, it, it was, you had yeah. to bring all your food, everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it was, yeah, all the, all the, we were really lucky. All the supplies were dropped off before we got there. So we didn't have to carry them up the cliff, which was, quite lucky uh we did have to yeah. bring all our all the equipment that we needed to use um so that was that was a bit of a exercise getting it up the cliffs because the entire island's ringed by cliffs um so that was yeah that was fun yeah yeah and can you just i guess you could just 
in your own words, kind of describe the terrain there. And, and I will, if you, if so kind, or I'll try to find them on the internet, but if, if you have some of the mm. pictures that you showed, totally, yeah. you know, of the terrain there and you, you said it, it, it's pretty rough and there's no paths, right? Yeah. So it's, you were breaking a lot of brush. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's unlike anything I've sort of been in before. Um, so there's no trees on the island. Well, there's a few shrubby, really small trees, but they don't grow above two and a half, three meters. And it's, yeah, it's entirely uh, ringed by cliffs and uh, it's quite hilly for the most part, but the main vegetation is tussocks and grasses and ferns, which doesn't sound too bad, but they, they can grow really deep, really, really deep. Mm -hmm. And the, the soil on the island is really peaty. So, and because there's so many seabirds, the seabirds burrow into it and create these great big burrows. So you're walking on the island where there's no tracks. There's no tracks on the island at all. You're sort of walking and uh, pushing your way through waist-height grasses and ferns and falling into these burrows. And, yeah, it's really, <laughs> really difficult to get around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, those pictures, yeah, it's it's pretty funny. And, um, you know, so... What did you do specifically there? And then maybe if you can talk about what some of the other people were doing. But I guess first, what, what were you doing specifically? So we were doing outcome monitoring, which is looking at the effect of removing the mice uh, from the island on the endemic wildlife. So I was particularly interested in the invertebrates. So the types of monitoring that I was doing were uh, pitfall traps, which are... Mm -hmm. Uh, little holes dug into the ground with a cup put into them and a little bit of glycol and water um, and covered with a plastic cover. And these pitfall traps capture ground-dwelling invertebrates. Um, so you can, yeah, if you do this over a number of years, you can see how invertebrate populations might change um, and you can get a good idea of what the diversity is like. And I was also doing hand collections, so... Um, just wandering around the island and looking for anything that looked particularly interesting. Yeah, so that, those are the two types of uh, monitoring that I was doing. Okay. The the really important monitoring that was going on while I was there was the uh, results monitoring, which is looking at whether or not the mouse eradication that was done in 2016 was successful. So the idea of the eradication was to remove every single mouse from the island. And so there's two types of monitoring or results monitoring that we were doing. Um, the first was using tunnels uh, with a sticky ink pad inside them. And so uh, there was a team, of, a team of people there who were putting these tunnels across the island and they'd leave them out for about 10 days or 10 nights, and when you gather them in, you can see if there were any uh, mouse tracks on the sticky ink. Uh, that Yeah, so you can... Maybe I'll give you a picture so you can um, yeah, yeah, get an yeah, idea yeah. of what okay. that looks like. But basically, if, if you see a mouse track on the in, inside the sticky pad, then you can tell that there's been a mouse there. And the other type of monitoring, which was really cool, um, was using dogs to sniff for mice. So the dog team, mm -hmm. um, they were amazing. They had three dogs, and there was two of them, uh, two handlers, and they basically covered the entire island with these two little dogs, uh, three little dogs. And if if the dogs uh, smelt a mouse, so they're really specially trained, if they smelted mm -hmm. a mouse, they'd give a special indication. I think um, it was like right, raising their right foot and looking extra cute or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the handler would know that they just sniffed a mouse and then um, they could spend extra time there or send the uh, tunnel, uh, the tracking tunnel team in to investigate a little bit further. But, yeah, so from the, from all that monitoring, they found no mice on the island. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a pretty good indication that the eradication attempt was successful. So mm -hmm. it's, yeah, really amazing. Yeah, it was. It, it really was. Like I, I was at the edge of my seat listening to you talk about yeah. it. So, do they have any plans to go back and and do another assessment? So, I think the plan is to go back in about five years and redo the okay. 
monitoring. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure on that, but yeah, the yeah, thing they do. Pl- yeah, at some point they will. Yeah, with with eradication attempts like this, you've just got to keep on checking because yeah, even though we yeah there was no mice found this year, um, it is a really big island, and there is some yeah really gnarly terrain there like hundred meter cliffs cliff faces right. um and like i said the yeah the burrow, bird burrows and uh just really hard to get to places which you know if there there might be like let's say there was one mouse there mm-hmm. you know they could uh start a population again right so right. you've got to keep on going back but from the monitoring that yeah, we did, it yeah. looks like they're eradicated. So yeah, that's, that's no, that's yeah, it's it's just crazy because you know talking to you know or, or looking at invasive species throughout all these islands in the Pacific Ocean and you know Indian Ocean and I'm sure in the Atlantic too. Mm. So it, it's nice to see you know yeah it worked yeah and totally you know this this special special population. So I like I have such so many questions about this trip. Did <laughs> what? So how did you survive for a month? Was it like really kind of tough, or were you just like camping <laughs> for a month and this is awesome? <laughs> it was um, it was a lot better than I expected, actually. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I've got to give the Department of Conservation the. So you, you obviously know them, but maybe your listeners mm-hmm. don't. Uh, so the conservation uh, sorry the government conservation group in new zealand um they they did an amazing job of organizing our food and uh, the entire trip was just really well planned so um we're stocked with yeah really great food i can't get over how great the food (laughs) was uh juza the um camp mum she um yeah she was an incredible chef and just put on the best fares for us when we came home after mm-hmm. a long day of work mm-hmm. but yeah the the cabin that we were staying in slept six people so those bunk beds and then a few of the others who didn't want to sleep in bunk beds slept outside in tents but yeah it was overall it was like a really quite luxurious trip really it, apart from only being able to shower once every five days because of yeah, uh, yeah. water limitations but <laughs> you kind of right right everyone kind of got used to the stench of everyone else pretty quickly, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, ex-military. Yeah. yeah. Being out in the field is, is uh, not fun, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you're out in one of the most remote places on earth. I mean, I really thought about this and I was like, mm. yeah, you know, you're out there. I mean, sub Antarctic Island, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there's no way um, to be evacuated. Well, sorry, no, Cut that because there was an evacuation from the island. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah, it's really far away. So to get down to us would have taken, yeah, a boat two or three days sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. it was in the back of my mind the whole time, like, wow, if something goes wrong here, then, yeah, it's going to (laughs) be. Watch where you step. Watch where you step. (laughs) Maybe I won't make that awkward jump (laughs) across the stream. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I guess one of the things you sent me to, and, I, and I'd like to link it for the listeners, is the sounds. And you said the the sounds. I, I, I do want to get to what you saw, but this one just gets to me too because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of you like late at night. <laughs> I imagine the stars were just insane. Yeah, yeah, you know, really good. Oh, I, oh, I, I, I kind of missed out. I didn't get to see the southern lights, um, aurora, aurora australis, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was I was hoping to, but the stars were amazing anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean just no like very I don't think any light pollution down there. <laughs> you know, so it's just the things you could see is just oh incredible. And then you said the sounds were just crazy, right? Uh unlike anything I've ever heard before. Yeah, just truly amazing. Yeah. So that that was the um that's the bird life. Um especially at night. So when we were camping on the southern side of the uh, island we, I don't know why, but that area, we're on the side of a mountain um, called Mount Waterhouse. I think that's where we were at least. It was about there. Mm. There was just so many nesting seabirds across the island. And at night, they just totally come alive um, with 
crazy sounds. You have to play some. You really will have to play some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. But, I will. I will. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll probably splice them in and then I'll probably open the podcast with some of them too. I'm already thinking of that, but yeah, yeah I'll, I'll splice them in here and then people can listen to it. So what, it, I mean, to me, when I listened to some of it, it sounded like at a horror movie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, Yeah, when we were camping on the um, southern coast, uh, there was a few nights where you'd almost go crazy with the sound because you just couldn't get to sleep. Uh, so <laughs> the birds would be, uh, you'd hear them come out of their burrow kind of thing, and they'd be a couple of meters away from the tent, and then they'd just start squawking and squawking. <laughs> it was, yeah, just <laughs> like, unreal. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> but thousands Pretty of them. Good. That was the thing, just thousands of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I guess what are some of the, the, the wildlife that you got to see while you were there? Um, yeah, so um, there's a few endemic species of bird. Um, I think the southernmost, or the, yeah, the southernmost parrots in the world, the uh, Rychex parakeet and the Ant- Antipodes island parakeet. So they're quite cute little parrots. And there are snipe, which are like a ground-dwelling bird, um, that, but probably the most amazing was, uh, were the albatross. So there's quite a number of species of albatross, but the wandering albatross in particular, um, which is the largest wingspan bird in the world. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's wingspan gets to like 3.1 meters or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the, one of the major nesting sites in the world and they are just, phenomenal yeah they really blew my mind i wasn't expecting to just be so um yeah in awe of uh, a bird because i'm such an insect nerd but yeah the right, albatross right, are right. just so amazing yeah yeah and then um your your favorite penguins right <laughs> <laughs> yeah you saw a bunch of them yeah i developed a bit of a uh, i won't say hate hate's a strong word but yeah, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're, they're not my favorite Annoyance. animal <laughs> yeah it was more out of um practicality than anything just because yeah you the way that you move around the island is um well yeah penguin colonies happen to be really convenient for moving through but penguins themselves don't like being moved and so they'd sometimes peck you and get in your way and they're always <laughs> Uh, it stinks and it's noisy. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and they, uh, because, um, oh, what are they? The rock hopper? What penguin species was yeah, it? Yeah, rock hoppers oh, and, remember. yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Yellow crested. Right, penguins? right. So you see them and you're like, oh, cool. And then you just working <laughs> with them, you're like, oh my god. Yeah. Well, because these, these animals really don't have any fear of humans, right? I mean, no, not not really. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So the the parakeets and the other birds on the island were really really tame, and in fact, within the first five minutes of landing on the island, a uh, pipit, which is like a little brown bird, quite um, charismatic but a bit drab looking, um, mm-hmm. one of them landed on the archaeologist's uh, knee just as he was sitting eating lunch, and we're all just a little bit mind blown by that. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, so the animals, because there's there's no 
human population or permanent population on the island. And there's usually only maybe two people per year, except when these big events happen. Um, yeah, the, the wildlife is completely naive to humans, basically. So mm-hmm. the, they're pretty tame. In saying that, though, um, I mean, yeah, you can't talk about the Antarctic, sub-Antarctic islands without talking about um, the sealing that went on in mm-hmm. the, you know, uh, when would it have been? Late 1800s yeah, the whales, to right. 1900s, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Antipodes Island's um, seal population was completely decimated. And so the seals, I don't know, maybe I was imagining it, but they, they were really wary of us. So you couldn't mm-hmm. get too close to them because they'd just sprint into the ocean. But, right. Yeah. And they were, what, they had fur seals and elephant seals? Uh, right? Yeah, fur seals and elephant seals and subantarctic okay. seal. We saw one subantarctic seal. <laughs> okay. I forget what we called him. I think we called him Gary or something like that. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Have you seen <laughs> Gary today? Yep, yep. <laughs> He's just hanging out. Yeah. It's like it's it's too cold down there, man. I'm, I'm yeah. gonna hang out up here. Yeah. Nice balmy eleven degrees Celsius weather. <laughs> um. So how did you, so who else was on the island? I, I did, was was it you that had the BBC film crew there? Because I the reason I'm asking is I think Planet Earth two. I just watched it a month ago. Mm. They had Albatross. I think from the Antipodes. That's uh, where they filmed it. I no. So I, I think, think that was on Campbell Island. I only just watched oh, it was Planet Campbell Earth Island? two. Okay. Um, like two months ago. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it okay. was Campbell Island, but quite similar okay. in its, um, yeah. you know, fauna and vegetation, but yeah, but right. yeah, there was a, okay. there was a BBC film crew. Um, just for the, uh, actually, I'm not entirely sure if they were BBC. I, I'm fairly sure okay. that they were, but, um, yeah, yeah. maybe I remember it was you or Max said it was, but one of you had a, a film crew there or somebody else was there. Actually, I think we um, both did. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, because yeah, yeah, he had the moth. He he was doing the moth thing, right? And yeah, he was, so they were yeah. He was studying crew. He was studying pollination by moths on um one of the subantarctic islands. So yeah. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So did uh did you guys work together well, or did people get under your skin, get a little crazy <laughs> on that little island, little island fever? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think everyone did go a little bit crazy, but luckily enough, we all got along really well. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, it was quite amazing, actually. Like, we, we bonded so much, and it really did feel like a bit of a family unit by the end, um, with, you know, Juza, the, the hut mum, she looked after mm-hmm. us really well, um, and it was a bit like having a mum, and yeah, there was, um, how many were there? There was nine of us for the mm-hmm. full period. In the beginning, there was a few um, dignitaries and, like, the New Zealand government's Minister of Conservation, Eugenie Sage, was there, mm-hmm. and the head for um, DOC for the South Island, he was there, and the Navy people. But for the most part, it was just the nine of us. So, yeah, we, we all went a little bit insane, but it kind of worked <laughs> out and... Non murdered each other, so. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I know, I know. Yeah, you all made it back. I, it, yeah. See, well, you're the only one that made it back, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, um, no, I just imagine it, it getting disconnected from the world for a month. Yeah. And, and so what was it like? I mean, we're going to, yeah, I still want to talk a little bit more about the trip, but what was it like when you got back? Was it a little overwhelming with like, you know, yeah. the, your cell phone, the TV, all that stuff? Yeah, it was quite overwhelming. Um, I think the main thing was just seeing or, yeah, going from this, like, completely remote island to um, the real world was just really jarring. Um, I I had to take a day off sick, actually, the next day just to sort of recalibrate my mind to being in the real world. Yeah, it's funny I say the real world, like, as though Antipodes isn't the real world, but (laughs) it's just, yeah, (laughs) changes you somehow, eh? Yeah, back to civilization. Right? Yeah, civilization. So was, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, you know, and I'm sure you had some comforts down there. But like, like, I guess, what did you bring? Books or? Yeah, well, we we're actually really lucky, and we had internet. Yeah. So <laughs> when I tell oh, people wow, that, okay. they're like, "Oh, geez. wow, jeez." <laughs> but I mean, we we had yeah. a data limit and stuff. And to be honest, I just yeah. I didn't really use it at all. I mean, to keep in basic contact with people. But um, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah I did a lot of I, reading. I was just gonna say. It. 
we played a ton of board games. Yeah. So yeah, that 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 kind of got us through. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have uh, any recommendations for the listeners for like good board games? Board games. Oh, absolutely. Settlers of Catan. It's um... okay. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've gone and okay. bought it okay. since since I've got back. I'm a bit obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're ever stranded on an island, that's the one thing you bring is uh, Settlers of Catan. I mean, it depends if you want to um, get along with your co-island inhabitants, yeah. you know. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's that's pretty good. So what what's the one thing that really stands out about your experience there? Like you're just like wow. Um, probably. Uh, I've got a really vivid memory of standing in the northern plains and just having an albatross fly probably within two meters of my face um, and just, like, eyeballing me. Like, I'm sure we made eye contact. <laughs> it sounds a bit cheesy, yeah. but, yeah, I'm sure it looked me dead in the eye and sort of, yeah. <laughs> was a bit I wonder of a if you're good to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but, yeah, probably the albatross were just absolutely phenomenal like they they did um so the northern plains i mentioned it before is like a great big flat area on the island it's maybe like a kilometer or two kilometers wide and long um and so the albatross just do great big figure eights around that area and they fly really low to the ground so at times you know within a meter of the ground um and yeah, it's just standing on those planes and watching them fly around is just amazing with their three meter wing, wingspan. Um, right. So that, yeah. that, that, yeah, that really stands out in my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's again, a, a once in a lifetime experience, I imagine. Or, mm. you know, if you get to go back in, in a few years and do it again, but yeah, it, uh, it just sounds like, wow. Like just what, what an experience. Now there was a bird. I, I think you talked about that was kind of a, a jerk, right? To put it, you know, PG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Which one's that? What bird is that? So that's the skewer. So um, okay, that's right. <laughs> yeah, though. Yeah, is is this a family friendly show? It must be. Yeah, it kind of, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, I know that's not the word you used, but for <laughs> our listeners, I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the skewers were. Um, oh, I keep wanting. Wanting to default back to um, bad language. Yeah. They're a yeah. major jerk bird. Yeah. Um, yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, they're, they're a bit like a, um, seagull. Uh, are you familiar? Yeah. You must be familiar with seagulls. Yeah. Like yeah. A, yeah. Seagulls. Yeah. Like a really, really aggressive and annoying seagull. Um, so they're, they're really tame and they so the main thing that they'd do was rip the checking cards out of the, um, tunnels so that, oh, that those are the ink tunnels i mentioned before yeah because yeah. yeah so the the ink or the tracking cards had a dollop of peanut butter to lure in well um non-existent mice right. to eat it but the skewers would rip the tracking tunnel out and eat that dollop of peanut butter and make an absolute <laughs> mess of them um and and they'd also rip out my um pitfall traps and just just for the fun of it, I think they, they just pull them out and empty them. <laughs> but um, yeah, sometimes you'd be sitting there and you'd feel a, like a presence behind you, and you'd turn around and there'd be a skewer just sitting right beside you, thinking, "Can I eat you? Can I eat you?" <laughs> and I, I'm sure if you lay down and closed your eyes, they'd like have a go at you, like they'd yeah. peck your eyes out or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so they're um yeah they're they're really cool birds actually they're one of my favorites from the island they um yeah they're just so neat and charismatic they'd come right up yeah. to you and um yeah they're real survivors <laughs> yeah no it's it, it was you I remember you talking about it yeah I was cracking up just uh, oh man and, and the colorful language to describe them <laughs> yeah sorry it was, was <laughs> it was pretty great no it was great it was I, great I probably went a bit um. Yeah, used a bit too much colorful language for a Friday afternoon at work, but oh well. That's okay. <laughs> you described them perfectly. You yeah. Know? So, you know, I guess one of the things, so you were there for a month and uh, collected all this data and you said uh, there's a PhD student, she's analyzing it now, looking at, you know, the insect population. Yeah. 
so just anecdotally, what do you think you, you know, what have you, what did you see uh, when you're there, uh, I guess, in regards to the insect population? Yeah. So it looked like uh, the insect population uh, has increased quite dramatically, um, especially in insects with a short generation time. I think that's uh, quite evident, especially in things like flies. So I saw lots of flies, um, uh, especially in our hut. <laughs> so that was quite <laughs> obvious yeah. so, from previous years. It seemed like, well, not that I've been there previous years, but yeah. from what other people have been there seem to think that there were way more flies in the hut. Um, and that sounds like a bad thing, but the flies and the other insects are actually really important as, um, you know, drivers of ecosystem services like mm. pollination and decomposition. Um, but also as a food source, especially for the, uh, native birds on the island, um, like the pipit that I mentioned earlier. Um, and we saw a lot of out and out and about on the island, a lot of, um, uh, caterpillars and moths and yeah, stuff like that. Um, so there's no native bees on the island, which was kind of interesting from my perspective, mm -hmm. but, um, I did notice, yeah, the flies were visiting flowers and yeah, Various other things were visiting flowers too, like beetles and stuff. So, yeah, it was quite cool. Yeah, it, it's just this whole unique ecosystem, right? And it, I mean, you said there's some, you've mentioned some antipode species. So there's species that are just on that island or yeah. are they in, in some other sub Antarctic islands? Uh, uh, in regards to insects? Or? Well, I get, yeah, yeah, insects and then I guess the birds too. I mean, I know an albatross is going to be all over, you know, the oceans, but you said there were some antipodes birds that were just, were they just on that island? Do you know that? Yeah, yeah. So the parakeets, um, mm. so there's two species of parakeets, the Bryshex parakeet and the antipode, antipodean, oh geez, antipodean island. <laughs> parakeet yeah. um so yeah, that's a big that's a big one yeah, <laughs> yeah so um yeah. they're really cool little parrots basically and it's really interesting to see parrots just that far south because you tend to think right. of parrots as being tropical birds but um, yeah yeah they've managed to find their way that far south kind of thing and there's also um a species of snipe uh which is like a little ground dwelling bird with a long nose uh, oh, long beak, sorry. But it looks a little bit like a kiwi almost, but it, it can mm -hmm. fly. Yeah, so those those are the two main, or three main endemic species of land-dwelling bird on the island. Um, I think there's one more, but that one's escaping yeah. me for the moment. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, the, there's a whole lot of endemic insects as well. Um, and a lot less is known about the um, insects, just because they're a bit harder to find, but... For instance, I was looking for a, a genus of flightless beetle, which is only found mm -hmm. in crustose lichen rock faces. So, um, yeah, and we found quite a lot, uh, quite a large number of those on the island. And anecdotally, it seemed like there were more um, this year round than in previous monitoring trips. So whether or not that's mm -hmm. from the mice, um, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's was, it was really neat to see do, the insects doing really well. Yeah. Do you think you would find a new species of insect? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just because they haven't been, I mean, insects are chronically under described. So yeah, right. if you put your mind to it, I'm sure you could describe a whole bunch, get your name immortalized. Right. <laughs> That's what I say. Like, are, are you going to be able to name a, a, a beetle, the Theo beetle or something? <laughs> That'd um, be awesome. I wish. Yeah. I'm not a taxonomist. <laughs> yeah. though. I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, just be like, Hey, you got to put my name in there somewhere. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. we you know, at our new show, we talk about, you know, a new species discovered and, mm. you know, these, uh, scientists in, in Ecuador have found these snail eating snakes and they oh, have, wow. they're actually auctioning off the rights to name it, to, <laughs> to raise money for the conservation of the snakes. But yeah. Hey, if, if you find an insect, you know, name it after yourself. Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Well, there was one insect actually I haven't mentioned that I was really, really hoping to see, and it's a cave wetter. So uh, normally they live in, you know, inside caves or in mm -hmm. uh, dark, dark areas. But supposedly in the 1990s, some of them were seen on an offshore island on the Antipodes. And so mm -hmm. the whole time I was just 
absolutely hoping that I would see one on the mainland. And that was going to be my big claim to fame was being able to right. capture one of these um, mythical cave wetters, but it, it didn't, no. it didn't eventuate. Yeah. I was really sad about uh, that. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, when you go back, you go back, that, that, that will be the, uh, the goal. <laughs> so could you, now, how did you get back? And, and I know the story, but could you describe for the listeners, you know, cause the Navy dropped you off. So you had this bigger, Control yeah. boat, right? Yeah, yeah. How did you get back, and how long did it take you? Yeah, so um, we got well. Just getting off the island was a mission in its own right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so the weather conditions were getting really rough, and we had to do a bit of a bit of a scramble to get um, the essential items and stuff off the island. But we got picked up by the Avoi, which is a little yacht, twenty five meters yacht, twenty five yeah. meters long. It's um, tiny. Yeah, it's really small. <laughs> there was about 15 or 16 of us. I forget exactly how many people mm-hmm. living on this yacht. But it took three days for us to get back from um, the Antipodes to the mainland. And, um, yeah, we had some really, really nasty weather on the way back. We had seven-meter swells at one point, yeah. which yeah. in a 25-meter in a boat, yeah, it felt pretty big. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was oh, yeah. pretty horrendously seasick for a good part of it. Not as seasick as uh, some of the others. Um, uh, B, uh, the, there was a, a girl there, B, she was with a, um, yeah. a Royal Society of Birds from the UK, mm-hmm. and she got sick really, really quickly, and I felt so sorry for her, but uh, yeah. That, that, yeah, that would have been me. I, I just <laughs> would want to die. I would just want to die. I mean, I've, I've been out on little boats in the ocean, and I just... Oh yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> I heard about that. I was like uh-huh. this little yacht and all your samples and all those people stuffed in. So yeah. no, was, uh... that's great. No, it's, it's awesome with you. I mean, thank you for sharing with, with our listeners. It, it's, it's just, it's like you're an explorer, you know, and it's asking about your trip, you know, to a, a really, really remote place on earth where very, very few people have ever been. Yeah. I, you know, and, and I know you're in, you're, you're really focused on insects and, and insects conservation is, is a big deal. So I promise you, we will do an insect episode. We, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, yeah, I know we want to do the honeybee and then, you know, I can interview Ashley, but maybe we'll put the giant weta on there or something like that. Oh uh, cool. yeah. You have to do the giant weta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but from your perspective, right. You know, from the insect world involved in ecology, is how do we convince people? Cause I always like to ask this question to all my guests. It is worth fighting for. It was worth the investment to send you to the Antipodes. It was worth, you know, even though this island is way off in the middle of the Pacific ocean by itself, we still have to look out for those remote places and monitor them and, you know, evaluate the ecology. So from your opinion or in your opinion, how do we convince others that it is worthwhile? Yeah. Um, that is a tricky question, but I think the best way to do it is by exposing people to the amazing nature that's out there and getting to getting them to um, put their own value on wildlife and mm-hmm. um, yeah, nature. So, however you can do that, I guess yeah, through mediums like your podcast or um, encouraging them to go outside and just be you know in awe of trees and bugs and the animals that they see um and then hopefully from there maybe they can get involved with community groups and volunteering and yeah i don't know it's um it is difficult but yeah yeah. it's hard to describe why (laughs) why we do what we do but (laughs) yeah yeah well you do it because you love it right i mean yeah absolutely a kid yeah 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 and it's it's amazing I'll, i'll tell you what it's new zealand is a special place and you know, I'm encouraging all the listeners to come visit. It's the people here are incredible. So I could see how you could survive a month with a bunch of Kiwis. I, <laughs> I think if it was a bunch of us Yanks, we, we would have killed somebody. <laughs> there would have been one person left standing, but yeah. uh, you put a bunch, you put a bunch of Kiwis. Together. Oh yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> especially if you start talking politics, it's, it's ugly. Cool. Um, you know, it, I guess my final question is, and this, I guess this is another tricky question. Sorry. But how could our listeners support, say, the Antipodes? Like, what could they do? What's the one thing that would come to mind 
yeah. to help support, I guess, insect populations, healthy insect populations, you know, or is there anything they could do to save maybe, you know, the antipodes? Um, I mean, the antipodes itself is so far away. It's, um, it's sort of hard to say exactly. I mean, the main thing we could do is because the antipodes is such a refuge for seabirds would be to look mm-hmm. after our oceans a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, maybe getting involved with, um, petitioning for less long line use. So long lines mm-hmm. are a bit of a, issue in New Zealand with um, fishing, trying not to <laughs> use as much plastic so that we don't have so much plastic floating in the oceans because all these seabirds, you know, they rely on the ocean for their food source and, um, you know, ends up doing terrible things to their bodies when they consume it. So indirectly, I mean, that's that's one way you could support a place like the Antipodes. Um, but, I mean, there's also some really good foundations that are doing um, cool work on places like the Antipodes. So I, I should probably mention that the Antipodes um, yeah. mouse eradication was supported by um, the World Wildlife Fund, which you might be okay. familiar with. Um, there's mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. the Morgan Foundation, Island, Cons- Island Conservation Group, and the Department of Conservation um, in New Zealand. So yeah, supporting groups like that would yeah. go a long way to benefiting places like the Antipodes Island, yeah. No, that's good to hear too. And, and I'll definitely, uh, put them in the, in the show notes. I'll, I'll put links up for that. And then any pictures that you may be able to share, I'm sure our listeners would love to look at that. Yeah, Cause cool. it just, it was, it was great. It, you know, thank you so much for taking the time after a long day of work. I, I know you guys work hard over there at Plant and Food. And, you know, thanks, thanks for sharing your experience. I look forward to having dinner, go have a beer, whatever, talking more about it totally. with you off air. Yeah. Um, but cheers. And, and thank you so much, Theo, for joining us. Hey, uh, Theo Van Noort and uh, from New Zealand. Thank, thank you, Chris. Thanks. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.